Zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours. Hello and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I speak to comedians and creatives about the best and worst jobs they have to do to get by. Today I'm joined by illustrator and comedian Carl Kazana. Hello. Hello, how are you? Great, how are you? Uh, yeah, good, thanks. Um, it, I mean, I, I don't want to go straight into ruining the magic, but it, it is weird, isn't it, how we've chatted for ages and now are pretending to chat from square one <laughs> yeah it's absolutely uh we we begin the recording at the time of beginning the zoom chat <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe that we used to go around to each other's houses and, i mean not us but you know like as a people <laughs> yeah i mean you're welcome to come around to my house yeah it's really far away <laughs> though yeah it, like it would be a special trip but... it would and um we're, we're currently dealing with uh, storm units yeah which i i think is a good thing because if to be honest if anything i think live events have had it too easy recently i think it's good <laughs> <laughs> for them to yeah. be brought down a, a peg or two yeah keep people did you see there were storm deniers uh, i so my mate tom did a thing on facebook about it but i thought he was making it up because that's the sort of thing he would do um but no i didn't see it in the in the news yeah, there were people just going out and about like, I don't see no storm. And you're like, it's really windy. Is it like those people who are like wearing a mask is like trying to keep a fight in your trousers? It's like not going out in a storm is like trying to I don't know, keep a fight in your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I want to get hit in the head by falling debris. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> I think it could just be sort of natural selection. It's like people that <laughs> go out walking in a storm probably aren't going to make it that much further <laughs> no <laughs> why are people so angry that people want them to look after themselves yeah it is it's sort of crazy because well also I had like like a sort of weekend full of gigs and I was worried that the storm would kind of take those away but I mm. think bizarrely I managed to sort of like circumnavigate the storm so like when it was in one place I was in another so like for me traveling was like it was a little bit disrupted, but like I had to drive to Bath and I was in the daytime thinking, should I pull this gig? Because I I sort of genuinely thought I was going to die if I <laughs> drove to Bath. <laughs> um, but in the end, it was fine and, and I'm still alive. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> because otherwise, you know, we'd have had to cancel this recording and that's really inconvenient, I guess. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm glad to hear that that's your... <laughs> you, you could have done that as a eulogy at my funeral it's like you know it's a real shame that Carl's passed because we, we did have something penciled in actually and it's <laughs> you know what there are times and I think post Covid or like during Covid to cancel a gig people are quite nice about it I don't know about you like there have been times before in the old world when I tried to cancel a gig where you could be like I'm sorry I got hit by a tree and died <laughs> on the way to your gig and they'll be like why why is this bitch not dragging her corpse <laughs> on stage I feel it's maybe it's that thing of like you've always got a golden excuse now so mm. like people can't be annoyed if you cancel because uh, like before if you were like oh I can't make the gig I'm sick I think people would be like yeah but you could if you really wanted to do the gig you could come whereas now it's like oh no I'm sick I can't risk infecting someone else like yeah, yeah which they... was always a thing that was happening before as well <laughs> yeah like I think about like I was on the train back last night and sitting there like I was probably one of a few that was wearing a mask and I kind of thought, like, I can't believe that I used to just sit on the train without wearing a mask, because even though COVID didn't exist then, there were still drunk people, like, <laughs> I don't know, just making a nuisance of themselves on the train, like, coming up to you going, yeah, yeah, mate. <laughs> like, I'm glad I've got it to, like, protect me now. Yeah. And, like, how we just go and pass colds around. Yeah. <clears throat> and the flu and, and stuff. It's like, now if somebody sneezes, I'm like... You know, like when a meerkat sort of like looks up and they, they see a predator, I'm like that. Like, Jesus Christ! Like trying to dive out of their way. <laughs> <laughs> Have you um, like what's the illness 
the the worst illness that you've gone to a gig with? Um, I, I don't know, probably just like a, a sniffle. Um, but I can't really think of any time that I've had to, or like I felt like I've had to cancel a gig, be, like, you know, before COVID because of being ill. Yeah. Although I, I did once like mess up my foot. I think that's the worst like illness I've had, but I don't think I was doing stand up then. So I don't think it really counts. <laughs> it was weird <laughs> that you were cancelling gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I was ringing up places going, look, in a couple of years, I'm going to be playing here, but my foot's hurting at the minute. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I can't come now. <laughs> I, remember going uh, to, uh, I remember going with um, uh, a bladder infection and I was like sweating and I couldn't, could barely move. It's horrible yeah. fever. And I was sat there, I'd been on, the adrenaline had got me through the performance. And I was sat at the back and my mate was there going, honestly, Catherine, if you're not well, go on. You don't have to stay to watch me. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not staying to watch you. I just can't physically move. <laughs> and I will require you to help get me to the tube station. <laughs> I like the honesty there as well like oh no I would be out of here already if I could stand up <laughs> if I was well I'd have fucked <laughs> up already <laughs> I, I like the idea as well that you're on stage going like good evening oh god <clears throat> good evening I'm Catherine oh god <laughs> it's like throwing up like that episode of Alan Partridge where he's got to climb over that fence and he puts his <laughs> yeah. foot through the spike <laughs> I was uh, it came up on my Instagram this morning, like a clip from Scissor Dial, where he accidentally takes some ecstasy the night before and then has a meeting with the mayor the next day and he, and he overdubs it. And he, I think it's just, yeah, one of the funniest clips. Right. Um, have you ever done um, comedy in a state of uh, drug or alcohol inebriation? Um, so I've, all, I've always been quite... Uh, professional I suppose in that respect uh like I mean I have had a drink before a gig before but I think when I first started I was like you never drink before a gig because people will see that and be like he's a piece of shit and I'm never gonna book him again um I think it's because I when I started I did a course in Brighton and it was sort of like hammered into you like be professional and all the rest of it so Mm -hmm. I didn't for ages I didn't like yeah do anything like that but then after like a couple of years I kind of loosened up a bit and I was like do you know what this new material gig in Brighton probably people aren't watching like like people <laughs> yes. aren't paying that much attention to it <laughs> so I just sort of loosen <laughs> up a bit um but generally I try and well because I used to do music as well like oh, cool. as a singer-songwriter well you know it was songs <laughs> about failed relationships because I thought that was really original mm-hmm. and uh I think with that, I used to get really nervous. So I would get really drunk. And there was one gig, it was called Every Last Friday. It was basically a pub crawl where you go and play music to these different like restaurants and stuff. And you get a free drink in every place. So right. I'd get like a pint of cider in every place. And you played like seven spaces. Oh my so gosh. By the seventh one, <laughs> I was so drunk. I was like playing a song and I went, do you know what guys, I'm bored of this song. Like <laughs> got rid of my guitar. And then I started doing some like spoken word poetry uh, to the to this restaurant full of pensioners, basically. Uh, like I don't even really know what I was talking about, but my mate Andy afterwards he went, it was hilarious and in some ways gritty. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they enjoy it? They seemed to. I think it was just I was that level of drunk where I had so much conviction in what I was doing that it could have been the worst thing you'd ever seen and you'd have been like, well, that guy's got talent. <laughs> Smash it. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Do, you? do you do that? No, no, I, I never understand people who say that it helps with their nerves. Like, did it Did it help with your nerves or not? Uh, well, I think with the, when I was doing the singing and the music and stuff, it did help, but I got more nervous about that than I do about stand-up. Right. Because, I don't know, that, like the music thing was more sort of like serious and stuff whereas like if you're just taking the piss out of yourself and being a bit silly it's like I don't feel as nervous about doing that so yeah and I think if I'm doing like three or four gigs a week or whatever if you have if you're getting drunk at every single one of them like mates of mine would and you'd be like wow they're really 
throwing their life away <laughs> yeah I never understand how because like <clears throat> if we've learned anything from this podcast is that people are working alongside gigging for a very long time yeah how do you get like I have friends who would get drunk at every gig and I think how how on earth are you sustaining that <laughs> yeah and like how do you afford it as well like you oh, probably yeah. paid like 30 quid to get there like there and back probably a like five for a pint <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah particularly if you're like in London like I did a gig the other night and I needed some batteries because I wanted to record the audio I went and bought them and I thought the guy said that's 2 so I was like oh great and I did it on my phone and it popped up and it was like 6 for like oh two batteries <laughs> yeah. were they car batteries or They're just like the really small ones that go in like a like a sort of zoom recorder um <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that's batteries. That's not even beer. Like, I imagine a beer. You'd be like, okay, that's the keys to your house, please. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild, man. <clears throat> so, I mean, we should probably um, get. Us- oh, wait, no, there was one thing I wanted to ask you actually before we do get onto the meaning of this podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I know a lot of people, like a lot of comedians, sort of do music and and other kinds of performance before they get to comedy do you feel like it helped or do you feel like it was um, a a sort of stepping stone to find the thing that you wanted to do or did you just stop doing it because you didn't want to do it anymore what what was the story uh yeah I think the first one it was because like when I was at school all my mates were in bands and like all quite cool because of it so then it, it was sort of like a natural progression that I would like learn to do music and then I was like a drummer in a band for a bit and then a guitarist and then like a singer songwriter so my mum was always like oh you've worked your way up from the back <laughs> like, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, but then I think as well like musicians are such like unreliable people so you try and have a band practice and they'd be like oh mate I'm hungover you go okay well that's my Saturday ruined or whatever yeah. uh, and then stand-up seemed like a really easy not in oh, that's wrong compared to like meeting up with a band just going to a gig with yourself you don't have to take anything that in, seemed easy compared to like music yeah. uh, and also I would like I would talk in between the songs and like in those bits I was getting a bit silly and like enjoying it when people were laughing and then I'd be like anyway this next song's called unfreeze my heart <laughs> so like <laughs> I, I guess I realized I didn't really want to be like that serious anymore and I'd rather just kind of muck around and have fun uh and then yeah started doing did the course in Brighton and then just kind of I really like the community with comedy as well so like I don't I I kind of assumed you just became a comedian and then you were just it's just you on your own you were doing stand-up but you kind of got that same like camaraderie that you would have in a band but with just whoever you're on that gig with that night um, yeah, so it kind yeah. of felt like the best of all worlds and yeah a lot more enjoyable it's um it's nice that you will pretty much always know somebody wherever you are gigging yeah yeah because like we've only done one gig together but I think because everyone's in the same boat it's always that thing of like oh hi mate oh you know like I feel like you make friends quite quickly in comedy yeah much more than in anything else I think yeah, I think um, I'd agree with that because it's um, you've got your your online presence and your mutual friends and things, haven't you? Yeah, like you can know so much about what's going on in someone else's life because everyone's trying to like upload stuff all the time <laughs> <laughs> and doing damn podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I've kind of I don't know. In some ways, I'm in two minds about that because you know how people are like, oh, you have to put out so much free content just to be like part of the like to be noticed or like to be a voice in it but I also think that's not such a bad thing because if you're creative and you like making stuff part of the enjoyment of that is sharing it with people so I feel like it is it is sort of difficult and requires a lot of time and attention but it is also something I would do anyway I think to sort of show off (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) that's uh nobody goes into comedy for the money do they (laughs) <laughs> no well I think if they do they quickly come out <laughs> yes <laughs> you want me to pay how much to get <laughs> there for a tenner <laughs> I did a gig once where I got 
paid like about three pounds or something it's like a bucket split but the promoter was like leafing through all the notes like putting them in his pocket and then like gave all the acts like a couple of quid so then I got back to Brighton station and I was like I'm gonna buy a load of cheese and then just bought like as much like of those little cheese things from M&S and I just like sat there in the station going this is so depressing <laughs> just eating my cheese counting my change <laughs> <laughs> a fruitful night was had by all <laughs> <laughs> anyway what's your worst job been um so I would say uh probably without a doubt my worst job was um I used to work in this restaurant it's called spicy basil on I don't know if you know <gasps> it, and, uh... oh my god spicy basil <laughs> Kilburn yeah, high road Kilburn high road yeah yeah well, oh, that's okay. horrible so, the early episodes of this, I spent trying to get them to sponsor us. Have they have they since denied uh, denied that or don't think they, they were listening to it? Okay, that's good because um, I listened to those episodes. I've never worked for Spicy Basil. I just wanted to get that in as like a <laughs> little in joke. Um, I can't believe they did. You've mentioned them loads. Like they should uh, that should have come off, right? They really should. Oh, you had me. if I'm honest I didn't think that you would believe that I don't I thought it would be quite you know maybe I'm just a bit of actor then I thought um (laughs) I can't see you to be fair oh yeah that's fair (laughs) I had my fingers crossed as I was saying um so yeah no uh, I'm sure Spice of Buzz is is nice to be fair Uh, I've never been affiliated with them okay Um, dragging the name through the mud how dare you (laughs) I just thought it'd be really funny as well if you'd got sponsorship <laughs> and then I was like, do you know who I hate? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'd say, I feel like for the, I've got probably like two answers for this, but because there's one that is like the actual worst job that I've had. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that was kind of all right, but I've got more to say about. Because okay. uh, so the worst one was uh, like, I used to be a, a graphic designer I didn't know how to graphic design, so it was just a really like stressful year. <laughs> how did um, you get into it? Uh, nepotism. Oh, <laughs> so, like my girlfriend was a copywriter for them, and then she like got me the job. And I said to them in the interview, I was like, I don't know how to do graphic design. And they were like, It's fine, we'll teach you. And then he he would just like my boss would just ask me to do stuff. And he'd be like, Look, Carla, I don't think you're gonna be able to do this. I was like, I know, because I like he wanted me to redesign their website. He went, I don't think you're going to be able to do it, but have a go, see how you get on. And then I'd do it, and it was bad. And he'd be like, Carl, this isn't very good. <laughs> I'm like, I told you. Um, but, the yeah, the other job that I, I guess I've got more to say about is I used to work for a uh, high street bookshop um, that is often confused with Weatherspings. Okay. Uh, is I, that, I don't know how much you can... Uh, in naming? Why yeah, yeah, Pete. Yeah, people often get, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to what they sell. <laughs> uh, like um, River Rocks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the one. Uh, <laughs> which I think on the face of it, like, I have to be careful because it, it's not like a terrible job. And I think if I was to go, like, oh, God, it's so shit, people would be like, well, that actually sounds like quite a good job. You know, And I've done loads of, like I worked in kitchens, which... I hated when I was like 15 so it was that it was kind of a nice job but I think quite a common thing is that like the job can be all right but it, if the manager is bad then that really affects everything else uh, yeah. and I think it was one of those where also there was about six managers so like like you go to one and they go oh you need to talk to that person and then they'd send you back to the original person it's uh yeah really difficult yeah. um but yeah I, I'd say that that was kind of the worst because I was there like at the height of the 5p bag charge thing oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly in that shop you'd get people being like um no 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 way do you charge me for a bag uh and like it got to a point where you'd just be like oh, I can't be bothered to argue with you so then to get if people were really horrible to me to get my own back when I you know like when you judge the bag to like put the thing in Mm-hmm. I would like just flip them off in the bag and <laughs> just be like doing that. Um, I mean, that's not very good for a podcast. You know, I'd be, uh, yeah, just put up my middle finger. And if, if they were really horrible, I'd be like, I don't know what's wrong with this bag. I just really need to like, shake it around. Um, it's the so, yeah. little things that you do for yourself, isn't it? 
That's good. Yeah. Self care. Yeah, definitely. Like, I and you know not to do it on the really cheap bags because they're a little bit translucent. So yeah. it's <laughs> only on the big one. Uh, but yeah, so it, it was it was fine, but it was sort of. Well, it was also difficult because I was gigging a lot at the time and not really reading. So like mm-hmm. a lot of the time people will just assume that if you work in a bookshop that you've read every single book and like they'd bring up a book to the counter and be like, oh, have you read this one? And I'd eventually I'd just go, oh, years ago, just so I wouldn't be like expected to know what happens in it. Yeah, but, but um, it's a new release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a new Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, but it feels like the first one. I do always think it is uh, it, it's a recurring theme that it's like not the job that you're doing it is the people that you're doing it with that really make it yeah good or bad so was it the quantity of managers or was it the, the quality of, of both that made it horrible um I'd say probably both because there was one point where there were so many managers like because the way they figured it out was that like sort of the higher up maybe like, I think the higher up people got more holiday time than the like lower down people it got to the point where like so many managers had booked time off that there wasn't enough to like time allocated left for the people working so like we all had to sort of like fit in around this like six people who were having like two weeks off at a time um, right. which is just insane because we're just like we don't need this many people like yeah it's crazy and then there was one manager in particular who was like a real hard ass and all the other managers knew that so like and they were the person that you had to go to to get the time off so like if one manager didn't want to deal with something they'd be like oh you need to talk to them and then knowing full well that everyone worked there would just be like well I'm not going to do that because I hate them (laughs) so then (laughs) you would just let it slide and like nothing would ever happen um, right. yeah that was tricky how long were you at Waterstones for at uh, River Rock so. <laughs> <laughs> when you said it I was like oh my god can't you say no. <laughs> um I think about about three or four years wow I, yeah well because it's also one of those jobs where it's like it's it's just all right enough and low responsibility enough that so like for gigging and everything you could kind of work around it and it like it was it was difficult sometimes but it's like it wasn't bad enough that you'd think I need to get out of here straight away mm-hmm. um but then I transferred to Manchester when I moved up there and I was working at the Deansgate shop and like their hours were completely different to Brighton which is where I started so it was like if you're on a late shift you'd finish at eight o'clock at night and I was like this is my day job it's past my bedtime I'm not home yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, how am I supposed to gig so then that I think motivated me to get out of there to be honest right I see it is a, a very good one that one on Dean's get uh, to, to peruse oh yeah it's, it's a, massive and it's that thing as well of like it's the sort of environment that I would like that I'd like to go into so mm-hmm. like on my days off I would go in and like get a coffee read a book or whatever you'd always have that thing of people go oh can't keep away it's like no I can it's just I like to come here when I know that I can leave <laughs> yes <laughs> trapped for eight hours <laughs> yeah I like to flaunt it in front of the people who don't have that luxury at the minute <laughs> <laughs> so were there ever any uh, incidents or was it because it feels like a quite a calm environment is uh, it well yeah I mean you say that but it did kick off one time <laughs> uh because there was this guy in Brighton who was buying the new Philip Pullman book and he was on his phone. I wasn't serving him, but it was, it was my mate who was serving him and he was just on his phone talking to his mate going, just buying his fucking books, fucking £25, mate, fucking... Like, just like that for ages. And I could see they were getting quite uncomfortable, so I went, mate, do you mind just not swearing? And then he looked at me and went, you want to watch how you fucking talk to people? And I was like, I think you should take your own advice there. Uh, <laughs> But then eventually he he kind of like squared up to me, but like the counter was in between. And obviously I was shitting myself. So I was just like, and then he threw his change at me, which was five pounds, um, but in a note. So that was, otherwise I'd have got hurt. That's <laughs> right, that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, like that. 
Um, I did think about keeping it, but in the end, I put it in an, uh, an envelope and I wrote on it five pounds from the incident um, <laughs> and just gave it back to the company. Uh, and then eventually, like a like a bigger boy from the queue um, came forward and like chucked him out. Uh, and then, yeah, it was, it was all fine. And I, it was that sort of thing, like, you know, at a gig, if, if somebody heckles and you, you like have to put them down and then you're like, man, I hope this gig has security because I'm shitting myself right now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's that sort of situation oh, um, yeah. but yeah that's probably as like hardcore as it got the rest of the time it was just like people moaning about bags and asking for books that I don't really know about Although <laughs> <laughs> well, actually there was one time where a lady asked for the new Ranoff Fines book right. and I thought she had said Rafe Fines so I was like oh I loved him in Harry Potter as Lord <laughs> Voldemort and she went, oh, good one. And I had to sort of pretend that I had intended the joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, uh, I am actually on uh, tonight at the uh, the comedy cellar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think at that point I had started doing stand-up, so I was like, oh, I could talk about that. But then, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe it just sort of... Well, I was going to say maybe it puts me as too much of an idiot, but I think... I don't mind that in my stand-up to be honest. <laughs> so um, at what point did the sort of kitchens come in? And so how that was, did that like uh, compare with the the retail? Um, so that was before I got that job. That was like my first job when I was 15. Um, it was in like a brewer's fair. Again, not sure if you're supposed to say the name, but... Um, I, I mean, to be honest, I, my rule is I don't think this p- podcast is big enough for these companies to uh, listen to it. And also, they should just have nice working environments and then the names wouldn't get mentioned. That, yeah, that's true. I, I suppose it's like, you know, in a few years when it's massive, they'll go, and uh, it's not the first time that Carcassonne has joked about uh, <laughs> five <laughs> fingers in the pipe bee bag. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so, so I was at that brewer's fair and I was a kitchen porter, which basically just meant I had to do everything. And then the like lads who were working the mains, like just sort of swanned around and did whatever they wanted. But like I had to um, make starters. and I had no like experience, hadn't like gone to college or anything to like study food hygiene or like how to cook. And uh, I remember I used to have to like fry white bait and the manager came in and she was like, look, there's a picture of what it's meant to look like there. There's the ingredients. Make that look like that. And I was like, that is not how you cook. <laughs> so I <was> just... <laughs> From a picture of the end product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, I guess it's, I mean, mine is raw, but I think it, it looks the same. Uh, so yeah, I just had to do that. And I, I didn't stay very long because it's, I just kind of grew to really hate it really quickly. Um, but then after that, I started working in like coffee shops and like Costa and stuff like that, um, which was a bit of a step up, but still a similar kind of, I, I don't know, like it wasn't a bad job. It's just, I think I always wanted to do a job that like wasn't boring. And I think the routine and every, like, that's why I think stand up is a great job because it's like every night is different. It's, it can be predictable, but it's like you have to think on your feet a lot. Whereas like with those jobs, once you've got the routine and the rest of it down, it's like you then know how to do that job. And each day isn't really that different once you've been there like a month or two. Um, yeah. So like there was one uh, branch in Hastings that I used to work at where I'd like work there for a month and I'd be like, look, I'm quitting. And she's like, OK, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and she would just like take me back, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, like an on-off relationship with Costa Hastings. <laughs> it's sweet that they take you back yeah it was I, I think because like I, mean, I don't want to blow my own horn but I was like quite quick at making the coffees mm-hmm. so I think like in busy periods I was good to like have around but yeah she knew that eventually I would just get bored and come back again um, <laughs> but then that's how I got into the bookshop because I started in their cafe and then I was like slowly started like helping the people with the books and stuff and then from that like went full-time into working in the bookshop um so I feel like every job has sort of led on to like the next thing that I wanted to do or like try my hand at so it's been quite nice in that way I suppose yeah 
So then the illustration. Yeah. Where were you? I assume that's something that you were studying for, or is that just some natural talent? Um, well, so I've always drawn since I was a kid because I was quite a quiet kid and I would like, yeah, I would just spend all my time sort of drawing and mucking around and stuff. Uh, and then, well, like when I was, a, I used to do this thing when I was a kid, I called it angry pictures. Like if I got told off for doing something naughty, I would like draw a picture of like how I wish that scenario had panned out or like, like slamming the person that had told me off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. Yeah, since I was a kid. And then I studied fine art when I left school. But I realised that I should have studied like illustration or animation because I wasn't really into fine art, but I did like drawing. Yeah. So it was a, I feel like my life has sort of been a series of mistakes that have gradually shown me <laughs> what I wanted to do rather than what I'm doing at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, from that, I so that was at college and I finished that and went into like bar work and stuff but it was like drawing all the time and then I illustrated a book for a friend of mine that used to run a music gig but she was like an author on the side and then from that I used that to like I just saw this job about the illustration for the company I work for now um, and then that was part of my portfolio to show them so I'd kind of done a lot of stuff off my own back since leaving college and then that just sort of all work towards me getting this job now. Um, so I thought it wasn't really the sort of thing that you could get, like a full-time contracted job to draw all the time. I thought you'd have to be like like freelance, but uh, fortunately uh, there is a company that, that does that. That's great. So is it, uh, is it common that you could do that kind of thing full-time or have you got lucky? Um, I think... Yeah, I think I've got lucky, to be honest. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> uh, throughout the years, I would kind of casually look for that kind of thing, but never really see anything. And then I guess it's because we were living up north as well. Like uh, my girlfriend's family live in Sheffield. So like we would be around that area anyway. And probably they probably would have taken me on if I hadn't lived around there. But I think it did help that I was like quite nearby. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's, because weirdly they sort of grew in the pandemic because a lot more people were homeschooling and they made a lot of their resources free. Mm-hmm. So I think their staff like doubled during the lockdown just because the need for it was, was more because um, it's like an educational publisher, but online. So I draw the pictures and then other people make the resources. Oh, um, cool. But yeah, I, although I did get an interview I'd already accepted this job, but it was for like another company where you, I would basically just have to draw pugs like as cartoon, <laughs> which like came through and I was like, man, that would have been so good. But then I guess if you're doing that every day, eventually you'd be like, oh, another cartoon pug. Brilliant. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not much variety in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would have been cool, but um, like I'm really happy with the job I've got at the minute as well. Yeah. Sorry, I feel really bad for saying get lucky because uh, with getting that job, because I know that it's uh, it's not luck, it's uh, ability, isn't it? But um, I, I just sort of, I guess I mean, get lucky in the sense that, um, you know, availability and being in the right place. So. Well, yeah, I'd agree. I think get lucky is the right term, though, because I think it is an unlikely job to get. Um, and I think it's the same with like stand up. I think you need like one thing to go right and like a lucky break and then if you run with it I feel like you can really pick up momentum and I think it's kind of the same thing that's happened with this like I was lucky to see that job actually my girlfriend found it and showed it to me and then yeah it's the ability and all the hard work you put in throughout the years to get good at that skill that secure the job but you need that lucky break to to happen so that you can be in the right place yeah, I think um, <clears throat> to an extent with certain things, you can sort of make your own look. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, like uh, Julia's dad says that a lot. He goes, oh, you make your own look. Uh, and then, but like, I think it's probably quite a common thing with comedians. You sort of downplay any successes you have. So you go, oh, no, it's just, you know, like, I, you know, everything just came together. But yeah, you're right. You do, I think, stand up and any sort of creative job 
is something that you can be pragmatic about and you can say well I can do this this and this and then hopefully that will happen yeah and um if you aren't traveling to uh different cities all the time uh then you aren't putting your way putting yourself in the in the place to be lucky by meeting somebody there who knows you know who can offer you this or that or whatever yeah definitely like I think like gigs and stuff like did a gig in South End the other week which took ages to get to because I'm in Oxford at the minute so it was like right over the other side but then I was just talking to a mate of mine who was also on the gig who then like offered me another paid gig I feel like if that happens like a few times and you're sort of filling up your diary with more paid work than you are with stuff where you're not getting paid which is obviously ideal yeah it's um it's if it is the South End gig that I think it was, it is a very lovely gig. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the gig was really nice. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I freaking love South End. Um, do you feel like the illustration is similar to comedy, sort of career progression-wise, and that it's a lot of unpaid work that you're just kind of doing for enjoyment before you get to the the paid things? Um, I think so. Yeah, because I think. I guess it's like quite a common theme in anything creative that you have to put out quite a lot of kind of work and content to be noticed, I suppose. Um, and I think, yeah, like networking as well, like like that book I illustrated came from me doing gigs as a musician, but it just happened that, I guess like creative people often have like two or three different things that they like doing because the, the overarching thing is that they like being creative and that comes out in like stand-up music writing like you know whatever um so yeah and I think like so for that book I I think I get like a share of royalties but I think it's it's the sort of thing where like, I don't really understand the contract but I think it's basically probably only ever going to amount to about three pounds right. <laughs> <laughs> because like you know fine because it I could illustrate it on my lunch breaks and I enjoy doing it um, yeah so I'd have done it for free anyway. But yeah, I think the more valuable thing is then having a finished product, which has been published and printed that you can then say, like, I did this off my own back and well, off my own back in the sense that I was asked to do it, but yeah, yeah through like meeting those people and making those connections. So yeah, I, I think it is similar because like, I feel it with up as well that like, you could often think, oh, I wish I was like here or at this point. But actually if you're doing stand-up, putting your effort into making it good and being nice to people then I think opportunities will come up and even if the opportunity just results in that you do a thing that you enjoy I think that is way more worth it than like bragging rights of like thrilled to announce that I'm the uh Carl Kazana comedian of the year uh winner 2000 you know like yeah I think those things are nice and it's nice to be able to say that sometimes but actually just in doing it and enjoying it is kind of the thing that you should be after I guess yeah, I think uh, it, it's it's always best to go into um, like co- comedy or I don't want well, I don't want to say all creative uh, endeavors, but uh, certainly my experience with comedy, just go into it assuming that you'll always be doing your day job, and yeah. it's going to be your hobby that pays your phone bill. Yeah, um, well, I was, I was so thinking about that. I suppose so. Because you'll have a much nicer time, I think, doing it. Yeah, because I think you're taking that pressure off yourself and the like, expectation that you put on yourself. Because um, mm-hmm. I was thinking about it yesterday, like, you know, when you're sat on the tube and you just have a moment of thinking, like, what am I doing with my life? Yes. And not even for, like, nothing bad's happened or anything. I had, you know, just had a nice gig. And in fact, I was on my way to the gig. So I, was, I think I was just, like, tired from travelling. But I was thinking, like, if I because I kind of made the decision a couple of years ago that stand-up is something I would always do no matter what, because mm-hmm. I like it. But I did have to have that sort of conversation with myself of thinking like, if you knew you were never going to like, say like do it professionally or full-time or whatever, would you keep doing it? And like, for me, the answer was yes, because I like the thing of taking things that have happened to me and spinning it, like spinning it into a, like a routine or whatever that, or make a room full of people laugh like I think that is really cool and I enjoy doing it 
Yeah. Uh, and like my girlfriend and I would talk about it saying like, if you knew you were never going to be like, quote unquote, successful with it, would you keep doing it? And I was like, yes, I would. And then I was thinking, but that would take the pressure off if you knew you were never going to be successful. Like, you know, in whatever way. But yeah. then that I feel like that sort of thinking is the sort of thing that would make you successful because you would just go into it just wanting to have fun rather than like, oh, I'm so funny, I'm going to make you laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I need to because I need. I have a five-year plan and I need to do this <laughs> to get there and then I need a full Edinburgh run and I need... It's, um, it's a lot to put on yourself. Yeah, like the whole thing is massive. Like, I, I don't think you can really... I can't really think about the whole thing as a whole. I can only really think about what the next thing is and making sure I do that as well as possible. Yeah, that's, um, that is an interesting question, I guess, uh, you know, about whether you would do it forever just because. Yeah. Um, but I think that's how you tell uh, whether you, you, you're su- sort of supposed to be doing it, isn't it? Well, yeah, definitely. Like, it's, I feel like every comedian sort of has to have that conversation at some point with themselves of like, why am I doing it? Would I keep doing it? Um, and I do also think that if you, the longer you do something, the better you get at it. And also, like, the more you're going to meet different people who are like, and like everyone's at different levels and all the rest of it, but the amount of opportunities that come just by being a part of it like are numerous so you'd always be able to do cool stuff because you'll know people that are doing cool stuff and eventually you might be one of those people that's doing cool stuff that can involve other people that are like wanting to do that cool stuff (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yeah I I think for me it's just a a better way of thinking about it rather than like I'm always going to be unhappy and never like (laughs) reaching what I want to Yeah, because I think it can make you very bitter, can't it? Very easily. Yeah. Um, If you compare yourself. Yeah, massively. Like, I think it's hard not to, because I do think comedy does sort of feel like a competition generally, whereas, like, probably the only way to win it is to actually just focus on your own stuff. Um, Yeah. But I remember a couple of years ago in Edinburgh, like you said about it can make you bitter, uh, I saw a comedian on their way to their show. Like, obviously, I'm not going to mention who it is. But they were, like, <laughs> they were, like, gritting their teeth. They were practically, like, punching themselves. Like, I guess psyching themselves up <laughs> to, like, yeah. do the show. I was just like, Jesus, man, you look angry. Like, but, but you're going to do something nice. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good to be determined, but it's also, like, man, you're going to, like, have an aneurysm if you... <laughs> Yeah, every day for 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, I mean, if that's where you need to, what you need to do to get in that space to do your show, but, you know, I, w- I would think just being relaxed is, is the better, for me, the better way to open a gig. Yeah, put a bit of Taylor Swift on, dance it <laughs> out, <laughs> get in the mood. <laughs> I've got this idea that for my solo show, so I think I'm going to do it next year, maybe in like Leicester or something. Yeah. Um, having like songs that have the word call in it but replacing it with the word carl (laughs) (laughs) for like when people come in so like you just carl out my name uh carl on me no that's take isn't it i I need to think about it some more but no i love the concept um yeah i think it's fantastic thanks it would just be the song and then it cut out for me going carl I remember there's a, a, a great comedian called uh, Quan Wen Quang who was mm. on one of the earlier episodes who ran a night uh, which was all the single Jamies. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> the walk-on music was all the single ladies was all the single Jamies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's excellent. I, uh, I did his uh, compilation show in Edinburgh a couple of years ago and yeah. it was quite early in the morning and he would get quite a lot of families come in. Mm-hmm. So on one of them, he was like, oh, Carl, um, just so you know, there's like a couple of younger kids in the front row. So just you know, in your set, just watch your language, if that's all right. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And then he went on stage with them seeing. He went right up to his nine-year-old girl and went, hey, honey, who's the biggest bitch in your year? <laughs> <laughs> Fair <laughs> question. Like, yeah, I mean, I felt like after that, carte blanche to just say what you want. <laughs> yeah, 
How do you feel uh, about performing in front of children like that? Um, I'd rather not, but I, I think my set is quite clean anyway. Like my persona is quite kind of childish in any case. Oh, actually, I've, I've just realised I have got a gig coming up soon where I am. It's a mother and baby one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> probably reneging on what I just said. I love it. I love performing in front of oh. families. <laughs> <laughs> um, no I, I I don't I think I think there's a different if it's like a like a pub or a comedy club you wouldn't expect to see like you know when you do a pub gig and someone comes in with like a puppy and you know everyone is looking at like I'm not, never gonna be as funny as that puppy is cute yeah it's like a similar thing with kids I guess um but I'm really trying to like backpedal so I can uh, <laughs> do this gig. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think it's all right. I'd I'd like to be more practiced at it because, like you know, Olaf Falafel. Like I yeah. follow him on Instagram, and like he um, writes kids books and stuff as well, and does gigs for kids. And I think that would be a really cool way to, like, that's something I'd like to do in the future. Maybe like write a kids book and <clears throat> that kind of stuff. So it would be good to like have that that practice to kind of really make it super clean and uh, I don't know, like family friendly, I suppose. How yeah. do you feel about it? I think it's certainly a good uh, skill to have. It's not, I don't think it's something I, I would excel at. <laughs> I've got a very dark and filthy set. Um, <laughs> but I don't mind it if it's like... Um, you know, if, if you go knowing that that's the case, I've had it quite often. It's usually in Edinburgh where people will bring their children to a comedy night. Or, you know, I had it in London as well a few times. People will bring their kids and they're sort of like, you know, I think teenagers, 13 plus, you know yeah. what's, <laughs> you, you, you're quite off fair with the world, aren't you? But it, I, I think it's quite irresponsible when, um, people will bring an eight-year-old and be like don't worry they've heard it all before you know like, okay challenge accepted <laughs> then <laughs> do they want to hear my routine about pulling a moon cup out when they have no idea what a period is yet properly <laughs> or, you know like it's um I think it's unfair uh to expect because I don't feel comfortable performing that like you might and your kid might, but no one ever. Comes oh, I thought you meant me. I was like, I, I yeah. think I do a bit about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carl right? famous moon cut routine. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? <laughs> Am I right? I don't know. Am I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't um, think that people ever consider how the comedian feels about it, which is usually I, I don't want to. Um, yeah, and I, I think to a degree, I think it's that thing of like one of the things I like about comedy is that anything can happen at a gig. Mm-hmm. And it's like how you react to that sometimes can like breathe the best bits of the gig, which is mm-hmm. always a shame because it's the stuff, it's never the stuff you've sat down and thought about. It's what you like <laughs> say in the minute to respond. Like I did a gig uh, a while ago and this lady's alarm went off, like right in the middle of like quite a lengthy routine about uh, me watching the film Hook at a House Party. And right. uh, it's a classic comedy formula. Yeah, uh, (laughs) it was so noticeable I had to kind of like reference it and I was like oh has your alarm just went off and she went oh yeah yeah, don't worry it's fine I was like well what's it an alarm alarm for and she went oh it's to remind me to feed my baby I was like but you don't have a baby with you (laughs) What? (laughs) and uh like it kind of completely derailed the bit and I was like guys I can't finish the bit because I mean we've gone so far into this that you, you probably can't remember what we were talking about and yeah. uh, they were like, no, do it, do it, do it. And then I kind of felt like they were pressuring me into doing, like, finishing the bit. So then that made me want to finish it less. So then I was like, guys, first rule of comedy is leave the audience wanting more. I, I have hired that woman to uh, <laughs> that alarm to go off every gig. £10, that's cost. I've paid that woman thousands. So it turned out it was like a good, it's probably better than the bit would have been if I had just gone through uninterrupted. But oh yeah, my it's God. I mean, when you walk away from that, having been like, yeah, I smashed that. 
<laughs> yeah, and now, now I just need to genuinely pay that woman ten pounds to come to every gig, <laughs> and, like, and to go home off. and feed her baby, please. Yeah. Well, because there was a actually, yeah, there was a baby at that gig, and that had already been referenced by another comedian. So, like, the the subject of families and kids had been brought up quite a lot. So it was kind of uh, contributing to a running joke, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I, I guess like she had a babysitter, but just forgot to turn off the the thing. But, like, I like to think so. <laughs> Yeah, well, like those sort of comic misunderstandings that happen where you, you look at the facts and you just go, well, you've abandoned your child or, <laughs> you know, those classic comedy situations. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, before we, we end, what has your best job been? Um, so I would say probably the job I have now. Um, I, I kind of feel like it's the combination of like when I started drawing as a kid, the things I did in between, it's the kind of the one constant that I've had throughout the creative things that I've done. Like, like when I was doing music, I was still drawing. And, you know, when I was working at Brewers Fair, I was still drawing. That's one of the creative things I've done. Um, so it feels like, yeah, that's all kind of come together for like quite a reliable job that is really flexible that allows me to gig as well. Yeah. Um, so it sort of feels like like a tick in that column, which then frees me up to put a tick in the stand-up column, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, probably say that. That's great that you're um, you, you're doing the be- doing your best jobs now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I feel like it's. I'm like I'm really aware that how like how lucky I am, and because like working from home as well, like that is like I think take it as read that. I think the pandemic was a bad thing and I don't mm-hmm. think it, I think it would have been better if it hadn't have happened. Yeah. yeah. Can't, can't stress that enough. <laughs> However. However, <laughs> I, I just think if you, if you'd have said to a company before that, I'd like to work for you, but I'm only going to do it from my house so that I can like take a shower at lunchtime. Or, you know, like they'd be like, mm, I don't think we're going to hire you. Whereas yeah. like, I've been lucky to go into a job from day one. I've just been like working from home and, yeah just appreciate what a fortunate thing that is and how flexible that makes me to then go and do a gig and it's just nice not rushing from one point to the other all the time like I was when I was working at the bookshop yeah uh so yeah I'd say that yeah I think um, I have to agree with you that the pandemic has um made a lot of working practices I think it's made us all appreciate the work-life balance more yeah. And I think it's great that um, it's made things more accessible to people. Because, you know, particularly if you've got a disability or whatever, that makes it really difficult for you to be able to get in to work. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, it's fantastic that they can do that. And it's, it's that thing of, like, I, it's sort of a bad thing that it took a pandemic for people to, to force people into going, well, if you can do your job from home, to sort of look at it and go like well how many jobs can I do from home like mm. it is bad that it took that to I guess like change the status quo because I think before that it was just accepted that you have a job and you go to where that job is whereas now it feels like the rules are slightly different and yeah like you say like you can apply to a job that's like the other end of the country but you stand a good chance of getting it even if you're like living like miles away from it so yeah I think it's good yeah, it's a shame that it only takes it, it takes the masses being affected before, you know, people are willing to make any kind of concession for yeah. anything. One thing I think is really like it's going to sound really petty, but like my so my parents are reupholsterers and they had this one. Uh, I suppose I should be quite careful. But they had this one customer who I didn't really like, and he, you know one of those people who like has a lot of money and they think that sort of adds up to a personality I suppose yeah (laughs) (laughs) like he would rent office space in London and I know that like after the pandemic that was like less of a uh, necessity Mm -hmm. because of people working from home and I was just I was kind of like do you know what good because you're horrible to people and like you (laughs) thought that thing would always be there and that's been taken away and like you know I think people like that kind of deserve to be checked a little bit to say like you know 
like nothing is like guaranteed so actually you should like even if you're like mega rich and powerful whatever you should always be good to people because everything can just be taken away from anyone yeah <laughs> what, anytime what <laughs> <laughs> well good night <laughs> uh well i think if this podcast stands for anything uh it is fuck the landlords uh, cool that's what um, i was trying to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh we you know that's um anything can be taken away from you at any moment and fuck the landlords i'm gonna get that printed up on t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we're uh, we're actually gonna do a live show that'll be the merch <laughs> uh, but i only want it sold uh from a tarpaulin that's been laid on the pavement outside uh i want some of the words misspelled on it and i want it to be sold by a man in an anorak with a fag in his mouth that's how my merch I... is going to be sold <laughs> I think I can arrange all of that for you. Thank uh, I mean, you. I don't, I don't smoke anymore, so I'd have to get someone to work the sand. But... <laughs> no, that, that's fine. I mean, we can pretend it doesn't have to be lit. It could be one of those joke ones with talcum powder in, as long as I remember <laughs> to blow, not suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think this has been our time. It has been so lovely talking to you. I hope that you've uh, managed to inspire um our potential illustrators to um pursue full-time employment um yeah it's, it's been really fun for me as well. i haven't had a really yeah. nice time uh, but i mean before we go um you, where can people find you what have you got anything to plug um so people can find me in oxford because uh, that is where i now live um Lovely. So come come to oxford <laughs> and uh just shout carl in the middle of the street and i'll i will be there uh, <laughs> it's weird <laughs> I, I go there every Saturday just listening out, just in case. Uh, but then, so yeah, so I'm on like, uh, you know where people go, when they say all the socials? I don't really like that, but I am on all of that. Uh, <laughs> so it's at Carl Cazano, the comedian. Uh, and then, so I'm doing a Brighton Fringe show in May <laughs> with a couple of mates, um, which is going to be a panel show that we did in London, uh, like in December. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah we're going to be doing a run of that on the 12th of may to the 15th it's called proper jobs actually oh yeah quite on yeah <laughs> quite on brand for and i can't believe i didn't think of that before the, the recording um yeah. But yeah it's basically like a panel show of is it is dangerously close to this actually Catherine? <laughs> 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 no no it's, I think uh, there's a lot of people doing a form of this <laughs> yeah I, well it was it's sort of like if you weren't a comedian what like what job did you always want as a kid and then like there's like an interview round and then at the end you have to the loser has to like like teach a class or something like that uh so yeah it's like if you weren't a comedian what what job would you be able to do like how would you be useful to society otherwise that sounds uh, really interesting I might come we'll, to Brighton. We'll, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get Watch you on. It. Like, uh, we're hoping to do like a few different like random, uh, like runs of it. So yeah, definitely we'll get on for that. Uh, and then I've also that, that isn't what I was asking. Sorry, but I, I was just going to cover spectator. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, I, I I assumed I always just think like my whole thing is I always want to just like work with as many different people as possible and like do fun stuff. So. Uh, if anyone's ever like, oh, I'd like to do that, I'm always like, let's make it happen. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, yeah, the only other thing is I've released a podcast as well recently called Who's Calling Please, um, which is, so it's it's kind of like, well, it's an improvised conversation between me and another comedian. And the conceit is that I play sort of like a like an older, doddery version of myself who's been bought a new Nokia phone but doesn't have the numbers on it so when people call he doesn't know who it is he has to politely figure it out throughout the course of the conversation um so yeah I've, I've released that that's like there's links to that on my social media as well um and yeah uh so there's like three episodes of that up so far and I'm releasing them weekly I think there's another like five to go yeah, that um, sounds excellent yeah it's a lot of fun like it was nice yeah, it was good fun to record it because you didn't really know what was going to happen in any of them. But I think, yeah, I'm really proud of the stuff that's come out of it. So it's good. That sounds great. Wonderful. <laughs> but I am, um, 
I'm just gonna I always forget to plug my things as well so I just have I have one thing yeah <laughs> uh, can I do a thing um so I'm doing I, I I'm I'm trying to write a show and it's going all right actually uh I, I'm gonna be doing it. it's called scream inside your heart um and I'm gonna be doing it at the Cambridge Fringe uh which is on the 23rd of April St George's Day uh, I request. I didn't request that it was on that day. Uh, but it's at the boathouse at three o'clock. So if you do happen to be in Cambridge that day, uh, we just get together and just scream for one <laughs> whole hour. <laughs> it's very no. It, it's it's very cathartic. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you want to come to that? That sounds great. Um, I was on a walk with some friends a while ago. And like, you know, when sort of conversation lulls a little bit, you try and throw something in to like juice it up a bit. Yeah. I just turned to them. And I was like, does anyone fancy joining me in a primal scream? And, <laughs> uh, and I did primal scream, but even though I was doing it, I still kind of held back. So I just went, ah. Um, so I'll come and scream at you from the audience. Oh, thank you. Just throughout, <laughs> just you throughout it. After every punchline, I'll go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, is he okay? <laughs> hey this is my time don't look at him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did actually look it up in my diary I was like oh I've got something on and then it's you know when your diary puts in holidays it was just St George's Day so I was like oh I don't have anything on <laughs> I'm so sorry I've got St George's Day on that day <laughs> oh yeah so we do a thing for it every year it's like Thanksgiving for us so. <laughs> uh, and on that note uh, <laughs> that's another t-shirt yeah yeah we'll get to the uh, the man with the tarpaulin to sell <laughs> uh, it has been a pleasure speaking to you uh thank oh, you, you for, for being on here take care goodbye thank you very much cheers <laughs>